Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right. So over here, uh, we've got uh, mostly men, as as uh, kind of expected, because this year we split up and we actually have a women in missions session as well. So it seemed like uh, last year we were all combined and we had too much space. Now our women are all next door, uh, generally speaking. Um, but I invited some to come. I was trying to pull some over because uh, we got uh, a, a good good topic, good time going on in here. I'm James Fife. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm a member here at Midtown, as you may have just gleaned from my interaction with Pastor Sam. Uh, normally on Sundays, I'm in this space where, where we meet for uh, our adult fellowship. And so actually, I'm used to using this mic. This is not the first time I've twisty tied it or electrical taped it. Uh, it's just that's the way it goes. Um, I'm part of the missions team here. I was in Pakistan for about five years with my family. I was in El Salvador. Uh, as a single guy in my early 20s, sent out by uh, from, from Sam's college ministry, actually, to go and be a missionary in El Salvador. So that's, that's the quick rundown uh, of who the guy is in front of you. We will be talking about missions-related things. Some of that will come from just from me and my experience, and then a lot of that will come from the Bible. Over the next couple of days, we'll be talking about managing our relationships for the mission. Today, specifically, We'll be looking at being single and mission focused. Now, if you're here and you're married, don't be like, oh, dang, this isn't for me. I'm going to bounce. If you're, if you're going to be a, a parent, then you're going to raise singles, at least for a season. If you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be a discipler, if you're going to be a counselor, if you're going to be involved in a church plant, if you're going to be involved in student ministry, uh, if you're going to be involved in college ministry, you know, if you're going to be involved really at any level, in, in seeing a church grow and seeing uh, the mission propagate, then you're going to engage with singles and their struggle of being single and how do I manage that for the mission. So I want to talk both to the singles and to you know those of us who just need to counsel singles and pastor and lead singles, okay? And then tomorrow we'll be talking about marriage. Uh, pastor Will will cover that tomorrow. We'll be talking about managing our marriages so that they are ready for the mission um, both from a, a get up and go and a, a church plant perspective and just kind of engaging in the ministry as well. Then on Saturday morning, we'll end by talking about our children. And I would say the same thing's going to apply. Whether you have them or not, you're married or not at this stage, there will be valuable information uh, that you will want to, to, you know, to use and to put into practice if you think I'm going to go and plant a church or I'm going to go and be engaged in ministry. Uh, you may not have children but you may work with children. So you, sh you should be ready for that, right? All right, very good. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. I'll do some talking, then we'll do some question time at the end. And, and then if you guys have insights, you can jump in too. We, I know we have some others. I'm not the only person who is single on the mission field in the room, uh, but we'll save that for the very end. All right, Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for... Uh, just what we've heard so far, God, how awesome you are to have settled your word and then to have preserved it and delivered it to us. I'm just grateful that we can trust exactly what it says every time we open it. 
and to know that it has not changed no matter what is changing around us in our world, uh, even in you know the church broadly. God, all, all, all things may change, but your word doesn't. God, teach us from your word. Lead us. God, we want your wisdom. We want to understand how to be better equipped in all areas of our life to fulfill your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going to start by just giving you a couple of statistics and looking at the kind of the world, what goes into actually being single, uh, what makes up that mess. And the obvious answer, the first part of that is you don't have a spouse. So there is that. If you don't have a spouse, uh, you are single. So that's the first part of the mix. If you're married, you go, oh, well, okay, I'm not in that stew anymore. And you're probably grateful for that. If you're married and you're not grateful uh, for that, you wish you were back in the single stew, please be here tomorrow because we're going to talk about our marriages. And that'll help you out. Uh, so there's that. Um, but but here's an interesting statistic. On average, uh, that is a, uh, that is actually wrong. I thought I updated that. The average age of marriage is increasing. All right. So we what we're seeing in our current culture is that is that our young people are actually spending more and more time being single. Right. So as we manage singles, as we run college ministries, especially. What, what we're seeing as a whole is that people are delaying marriage into an older age. So in the 1890s, uh, you can see the average age of marriage for men was about 26. It actually started to drop from there in the 1950s and 60s. We got down to right about 22. And now we're climbing up. Currently in our culture, average age of first marriage is at 30 for men and above 28 for women. Right. So if if people are hitting puberty, on average in our culture, girls between 8 and 12 start puberty. Boys about one year delayed, about 9 to 13, they're starting puberty. And typically are fully kind of mature and through puberty around age 16. Now we're looking at, in general, we're looking at about another six, 15 years of singleness to deal with all the hormones and all the struggles of, uh, of just being single and trying to be Christian, and you know, purity, of course, becomes a big issue there. And what we're doing is, is as a culture, we've been asking people to, to manage this, this single time frame a lot longer than we did, say, in the 50s. You know, you hit puberty, and you're like, oh, well, now I'm, I'm 20, I'm going to get married. And so uh, you still have to deal with it, but you just didn't deal with it uh, quite as long. I took a little, real small, informal poll of pastors here at Midtown and then, you know, Boston, Tampa, uh, Lee Summit, just the pastors that, that kind of came from us. Anyone want to take a guess? Average age of marriage for, the, for our pastors? I heard a 20 and a 25. I heard 20. Because generally in the church, people marry younger than, than the broader culture. First of all, there are two outliers, and if you take them out, uh, the average age was 22. So our pastors generally get married pretty young. Is that what you said, Chris? You nailed it. So there were two outliers. You want to guess who the outliers are? Who got married older? You know enough. But no way. No way. 22. He was right, right on the average. Renault was young. You know, you know enough to know. I was 28. Yeah, I was older. So I, I was single for a long time. And then Mark Schaefer was 29. Uh, but the rest of them uh, got married pretty young, which has typically been the trend in the church as well. We, we typically do get married uh, younger. Now, what we're also seeing, though, not only 
is the marriage age increasing? Premarital cohabitation is also increasing. So the way that the world is dealing with this struggle of singleness is just to pretend like you're not single. The world's answer has been, we don't care what the Bible says anyway, but instead of getting married, we're just gonna, we're gonna do pretend marriage. We're gonna move in together. We're gonna share life together. We're gonna engage in the functions that a, that a biblically married couple has, has access to, or that even you know, um, a legally married couple have access to. A lot of times people will cohabitate and combine life as if they were married, okay? So that is on the increase. Now, that's important for us as we deal with culture, especially again, if we're, if we're, if we're teaching high school students, college students, it's important to be aware of this because everybody around them, and when I say everybody, that's only a slight exaggeration because it's about 80% of people now currently in our culture are cohabitating before they get married. Everybody around them is telling them that they're the crazy ones, that they're the weirdos, that they're the oddballs, and that what they're doing is old-fashioned, it doesn't work, it, you know, it's just some antiquated system that maybe was okay in Old Testament times, but definitely doesn't apply to us today. That's what the world is telling them, okay? So what really, essentially what it's saying is you actually don't have to manage your singleness at all. Throw it out the window and do what you want. In 1950, 68% of people over the age of 15 were married. In 2023, we're down to 52% of people over the age of 15 uh, are married. So it ties back to that our earlier statistic. But now, uh, in 1962, less than 5% of, pre, uh, of unmarrieds were, were cohabitating. Less than 5%. Now we're up, as I said, to about 80%. So the trend is to delay marriage until an older age, but then to spend years cohabitating and living like you were married. And the theory has been that you spend more time establishing yourself in work and establishing yourself as a professional. And so you, you, get, you get money and you get a career and you get established in life. And then also as you're cohabitating, what you're actually doing, and the theory says, is you're building your relationship and you're strengthening your relationship. So then when you finally do decide to get married, well, you're just gonna have this perfect marriage and you'll never get divorced and it'll work so much better. You know what the statistics are showing us? The exact opposite is true. Premarital cohabitation consistently predicts higher rates of marital dissolution in, in the U.S. research. So it turns out that God, who is the same from the Old Testament to today, and said, you should not be shacking up with your lady, you get married, you do things right, was, knew what he was talking about all along. You, don't, you actually do not get a stronger marriage, a stronger relationship by seven, eight years of of premarital cohabitation. It does not help you in, in any way. It shows that those marriages are less fulfilling, less happy, higher stress, more uh, depression, and they end in divorce at a higher rate. That's not a very good deal, all right? So, uh, and there's research, if you're interested in it, I can send you links uh, and give you those, those detail. But there it is, higher divorce rates. Uh, are being predicted. So, uh, you know, so this is what we're seeing. Uh, we're also seeing an increase in unwed childbearing. That's another kind of response to this increased marital uh, age as people are cohabitating. And when you do that, when you live together, you sleep together. Sometimes, whoops, you end up with children. Sometimes intentionally, you end up with children. Uh, but we're seeing higher rates of uh, premarital um, childbirth as well. 
And so that means we're also seeing higher rates of you know, single parented kids as well, because then the, these, these relationships dissolve at a higher percentage as we saw, and so it's a mess. All right, so that's the world that we're looking at. That's what we're getting into. And again, um, since the 1970s, uh, we've seen the age of, of onset of puberty actually decline as well. Researchers are trying to figure out exactly why, we don't know, but at a younger and younger age, people are starting to hit puberty. And so you're, again, you're just, for all these reasons, we're spending more and more time actually being single in our current, in our current world kind of general exclusion is is us in the church. How old were you when you got married, Thomas? 23, Chris? 22, young, there we go. All right. It didn't get good until 33. That's important. You're not blaming your wife there. That wasn't to throw her under the bus a moment. So everyone knows Thomas was saying he, he messed it up for 10 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, early marriage, uh, you know, so we as a church, early marriage actually runs deeply countercultural to uh, the, the industrialized world. So since the industrial revolution, as you saw, average age of marriage has been increasing. The church has typically been lower. We are the outliers. Now, that too is important in a broader missions context because in, in, you know, in a biblical Christianity context and even in a missions context, we who are Bible believers have to become okay with being countercultural. You have got to get to a place where you are settled on saying, you know what, it doesn't matter how different I look from the rest of the world and in what, in what areas and aspects of life as a whole, we are going to be countercultural. And I know we talk a lot in missions and in missions prep and uh, about going and, and assimilating cultures and trying not to, uh, you know, uh, ruin our opportunity for the gospel just through cultural faux pas. But there are certain areas, and we have to understand this, and, and this isn't the topic today, but there are certain areas where biblical culture has to trump any other culture, whether it's here or Albania or Romania or Kenya or wherever you go in the world, whatever the norms are there on certain topics don't matter. The Bible has to dictate that. So that has to be our authority, and that means, and we have to even teach this to our young singles, that they have got to get comfortable with being the ones who are going to be an oddity. You're 22 and getting married, and every, everyone in university around you, if you're still in university at 22, is going to go, what on earth are you doing? I see it. I teach in a university. I actually had a, uh, a girl in my, in my class. I teach nursing. And, uh, you know, she's like 21 and she's getting married um, on spring break. And all of her classmates are like, what are you doing? You're so young. You got your whole life ahead of you. This is a bad, bad choice. You're making a mistake. Like, this is the message that is being told to our young people when they decide to follow what God has said. To and I don't know her very well. I know she's a believer. We actually have had those conversations. But part of it is she's actually missions minded. Uh, but the rest of the rest of the world is telling her she's crazy. All right. So we have to be okay with that. Uh, if the church, you know, is following the trends of the world, uh, then 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 we're just going to have to learn how to manage our singleness well. And this could be, and and dare I say, should be a great advantage to us, to the church. Being single is a great advantage to the mission. 
Okay, we'll look at that here in the, in the Bible in just a minute. So we need to be good at envisioning and equipping our singles for the mission. We, can in, we need to engage them to use their singleness as a benefit to the kingdom. We have a responsibility to do that. So let's look at what it, what it takes to actually be successfully single. What does successful singleness look like biblically? We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, there'll be some verses on the screen, but I think we'll be in 1 Corinthians 7 for a few minutes if you wanted to grab it uh, in, your, in your own Bible as well. But number one, we need to recognize this. Singles actually have a superpower. Biblically, Paul tells us that singleness has a superpower that the marrieds don't have. And the superpower is that when you are single, you are actually free to have a singular focus, okay? And, and Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 7 that that's something that the married people cannot rightly have, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse uh, 32 and 33, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So here's the great advantage of being single. Paul says biblically, listen, if you're single, you have one care, one responsibility. You actually get to put all of your heart and all of your attention, all of your might into the Lord, how you could please the Lord. That gets to be the one thing that you get to do with your life. But, but, he that is married, like Thomas, careth for the things, uh, and is married, careth for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Ten years later, he started that. He lived like, he lived like he was single, maybe. I don't know. But here's what, here's what the Bible tells us. I, as a married man, have a responsibility to care for some things of this world that I cannot be as singularly focused as the unmarried man can. I have a biblical responsibility to care for the physical needs of my wife and now my children uh, since I have them. I have a biblical responsibility to tune into those things. Okay? If you're single, you don't. And that is freeing. That is powerful. If you are single, then, then, then the ideal, what God says, is that you're actually free from all the worldly cares. This is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a weird flip because Paul actually tells us that I have to care for worldly things, like my wife and my kids. Now, of course, that, that instruction to care for physical things, um, I'm commanded to do it, but it, again, you, know, you have to hold that in light of the entirety of Scripture uh, as a married man, that never gets to become my my singular or primary focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Set your affection on things above. Have no other gods before me. All of that still applies to me as a married man. That's important to just to say real quick. But I also, as soon as I'm done doing that, I have to then tune into my wife. As soon as a single man is done doing that, he just gets to go back to doing that again. All right. So this is this is this is a powerful advantage that the single that the single person has. We continue in, in 1 Corinthians, actually the lead up uh, to where we were. What did I have to put up there? 32. That's not even right. It's 29 to 31. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. This is the lead up to what Paul was just saying. He frames it in this idea that we are, we are running low on time. It remaineth that both they that, that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they weep not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they um, possess, though they possess not, and they that use this world, though not uh, as not abusing it, 
for the fashion of this world passeth away. So here's the lead up to that whole idea. The time is short. Paul's saying, because we have so little time to actually engage in the mission, and he preempts that, that marital part with this. He says, if you are married, also, and we'll come back to this tomorrow, live as, like you weren't, like put the mission first, right? So that's, that's the deal. And Paul's position is that it is best to be as he, as he was. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians 7. He says very, very plainly, uh, he said to the unmarried and to the widows, all right, hey, y'all are getting it. This is the position. This is actually the, the, the position. I wish everybody was like me, unmarried or widowed, and in a position where you could uh, fully engage in the mission. So it is, a, it, it is a blessing. It is a powerful thing. And I think that's a message that doesn't get communicated enough to our young people. Because our young people come in, you know, to, you know, to puberty, to, I, I wanted to say maturity, but that's the wrong word. Like, the, their bodies are just growing up, but like maturity is not the right word, right? Like, okay, so a mature body, and even in the church, like, just be real. Young men are thinking, I need to get married young because I got to have sex. Like, we're, we're struggling with hormones. I don't know how many young men would be honest enough to say, like, maybe you even prayed, like, Lord, don't return yet. You prayed those, like, no rapture yet prayers. Because I got to get married, Lord. I just got to know. Like, this thing's, maybe it's just me. I, I had some of those prayers. I had some of those moments. God, maybe you could come back. At, I'm going to get married in May. You know, it's like January. Like, you could come back in June. July, August, August, that'd be great. Um, but this is the thing. We need to be making sure we're communicating this to our young people, right? Uh, being single is actually a superpower. Being single is actually the best time of your life. Being single in terms of engaging in missions can be uh, an unlimited thing. And, and personally, I was teaching this in our Missions One course. I think that starts younger maybe than what we're, we're attuned to or accustomed to doing it. When should we start talking to our people about this? Well, I know when my, my kids go to a public school and uh, they're getting talked to about, um, not, not just about uh, like puberty, they're, they're getting talked to about the whole gender identity, uh, fluidity. They're getting talked to about all of these things in like fifth grade, right? I think we too, if, if, we, if we have a church and we have young people, we need to start early talking to our people about what it means to actually be single and, and, and for that to be a good thing. Like I, I got fifth, fifth graders, fourth graders in my house, and I talked to my sons about that already. And, and I think we, we have a, a big responsibility starting in our student ministry and especially once we hit middle school to make sure that we're letting, letting our kids know that it is okay to be single and to serve the Lord and to set them up for success there. Because if we start in college, we're catching them too late. By then, most of them have already messed up a lot of times and they've already torn down that wall and they're like, I already know how good it is out there uh, in the flesh. And it's just harder and harder and harder to deal with. It's not impossible, but man, what if we were catching them in fifth grade, fourth grade? So if you're a church planner and, and you're going to engage in the mission, you need to be thinking about how do we start setting up our kids to be successful as, as singles and then transition into marriage should, should that come. And that's one of the things that I love uh, about the ministry here. For us, Kid Town, as we call our, our kids' our Sunday school, 
is not babysitting. It's about engaging kids in the mission from, from kindergarten all the way through. We're trying to get them engaged in the mission. All right, so if pleasing Christ is not the priority, then being single or married actually won't matter because the mission will never be prioritized. Christ has to be first, whether we're singled or married, right? But as a single, you have the opportunity, again, to make that the primary focus. 1 Corinthians 7, um, oh, sorry, I'm doing my own slide, so I don't know where I'm at. I already, we already did that verse. There we go. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 35. And this I speak to your prophet, uh, not that I cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. I think this is the summary of, of everything that Paul is laying out there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the goal. If you're married, if you're unmarried, if you're widowed, if you're, you know, you're in considering getting married, the summary position that Paul is saying is this. In all of it, put yourself in a position so that you can attend upon the Lord without any distraction. Now, of course, the, you know, like the prep for a wedding, it's a little bit distracting. There's going to be these moments where these things come in. But as a whole, what he's saying is, listen, this is what I want to teach my kids. This is what we want to teach our young people. I want nothing to distract you away from the mission that God has called you to. And if you're single, that's fine. As you're transitioning to being married, that's the only transition there's going to be in our house. You transition from single to married, not from anything else. Um, do it without being distracted. And let's, let's stay attuned to that. So this is the key mindset for all. And it should be easier, actually, for singles to manage than for marrieds. It actually should be easier to attend upon the Lord without distraction. Because you don't have to. You're not commanded to attend to the physical things as well. To be honest, some things, sometimes the physical things become a distraction even as a married man, right? And, and that's an important thing too for our, for our young people. I think, well, if I just get married, especially the guys, because they're just, you know, just these raging hormone balls. Right? If I just get married and start having sex, then everything will be better and I'll focus on the Lord. No, you won't. That actually doesn't fix anything. You will not focus on the Lord just because you got rid of uh, th this, one, this one drive. You'll realize that the next morning, that drive is still there. And you'd be like, maybe I should stay in bed with my wife instead of getting up and reading the Word. The, the, the distraction, the temptation will always be there. So we have to learn how to attend upon the Lord without distraction. Luke said, Christ said in, in Luke like this, he said, if any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, and his sister, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The core issue is the same for all people. Christ is worth more to me than any other relationship or desire that I'm engaged in. And again, I think this makes it easier if you're single because you don't even have some of those relationships to have to put off. You do got to put off yourself. And I think that's the, the core of this, this verse is putting off that self part, uh, but you don't have all the other parts of it. Now, I will say this too. Uh, here at Midtown, um, we're, a, we're a church that is not definitely not perfect. And we're filled with people who are definitely not perfect. You know, so as I stand up here, I don't stand to say that in any way, the only authority that I have is scripture. In our, in our you know, in our student ministry, in our young adult ministry, in our adult ministries, uh, we deal with all levels of struggle in the, in the singleness and marital camps, right? So we have, 
we have we have people that are unfaithful to their wives we have we have singles who are who are you know who are pursuing uh illicit sexual relationships we have people who are involved in fornication we have people who are involved in in adultery we have people who struggle with uh you know same sex attraction same sex action at times uh, we have people who struggle with uh, you know, pornography and with masturbation and with any other thing that would go into this whole conversation, all of it is present here at Midtown. But I think that's the way that God designed it, right? This is where all of those people should be, hopefully growing, hopefully not living. There are times when you have to deal with that and work with that, but uh, all of that is available here in our ministry. So Jim Elliott, famous missionary, uh, his position, he believed uh, initially that, that it was best to be unmarried and, and enter into uh, the mission. He, he personally believed that you could only reach the unreached uh, if you were a single man. And, and he said it like this, with a wife comes Peter and the pumpkin eater's proverbial dilemma. He must find a place to keep her. And most wives will not stay on such terms as Peter proposed. So a wife demands a house and a house in turn requires curtains and rugs and washing machines, etc. A house with those things must soon become a home and children are the intended outcome. The needs multiply as they are met. A car demands a garage, a garage land, land a garden, a garden tools. Tools need, need sharpening. Woe, woe, woe to the man who would live an, un, an entangled life. Right. And so this was Jim Elliott's position. And then, you know, that's this is where he started. He comes around. He ends up getting married, as I think many of you know, he gets uh, martyred. And then actually, in the way that, you know, God just likes to twist stories, his wife goes back and is actually this a single woman who goes back and is actually doing the ministry in his place. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that position that only that only single men are best uh, fitted for the mission. But I do believe that single men have a, or single people as a whole, I don't even want to say single men, have an advantage in that you have that single ability to focus, right? So uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 11, uh, we're told this, but he said unto them, all men cannot receive the saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so, so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs, listen, there are going to be some in our ministry and our churches. There are going to be some which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive him, receive it, let him receive it. And there will be some, and we'll have them in our ministry who will who will, who will decide and say, I'm gonna be single for the rest of my life, and I'm okay with that. Because I can lay that down, I can sacrifice that for the mission, for the work that God has called. Now, there'll be some who are, going, who, who are going to be, you know, eunuchs, not because they want to, like they're, they're not going to engage in relationship for other reasons, and there'll be some who are just going to struggle with it forever. But there are going to be some uh, who are going to say, you know what? I actually see the power and the advantage of it, and I'm going to engage. Now, the question becomes for us, especially as church planners uh, and pastors, what's our position on, on single people in the mission? Because there were seasons, there's been times historically where where, where we, didn't, we didn't allow single people to go on mission. And even in some churches currently, in the modern world, I, you know, I've, I've been in, had conversations, so I have a lot of conversations with missionaries who are raising support and have gone to places and, and, 
a single guy who's gone to a place, presented to the church, and the pastor came up to him afterward and said, we love you. What, what you're doing is awesome. As soon as you get a wife, we'll start supporting you. Our policy is we don't send singles. So I think that's a question that we too, in, in the missions world, have to face. What's, will, are we willing to allow single people to engage in the mission, and even at every level? And of course, within biblical bounds, men, men are pastors, right? Men are leaders. I'm not proposing that we're sending Jeanette to pastor a church or any, or Tish or, or any woman, right? Um, but for us, our answer has been, yes, we have to allow single people to be involved in the mission because some are going to be just like this. And some are going to say, I'm going to be single and I'm going to go serve. And I'm going to serve the Lord however he leads me. So we have single men and single women that we have sent onto the mission field for both short term. And I think a lot of us are, are okay with that. I mean, we send people all over the world short term. You can go anywhere for a week. But even long term, I think all of our church plant teams that we have sent have single people on them. Yeah, that's an accurate statement. Every church plant team that we have sent out of, out of Midtown has included single people. Okay? And, uh, and I think that those churches would have greatly suffered without those single people. Now, over the course of time, some of those people have married in, in the churches where they're at, uh, and some have not. And some will, do continue single, and, and some don't. But what is our position? Are we willing to, to engage our singles in the mission? The question to the singles is, are you willing to engage in the mission above all else? Is that going to be the, the singular focus of your life? Right. The only way to actually be successful as a single is to take that mindset and to say, for the kingdom's sake, even if it's for just a season, and my heart is still towards marriage, for the kingdom's sake, I'm going to live as a eunuch. I'm going to give up everything that, you know, maybe in the flesh that Paul says, I have a right to. I have a right to take a wife. But as a single person, are you willing to give all that up and say, you know what, I'm going to live like this until Christ interjects and gives me something else? Uh, do we encourage our singles into ministry? Do we encourage uh, our, our singles to engage? Or is the only message that we teach is that they should be getting married? Now, I know, as, you know, a lot of times that's the message parents teach, but as parents, we have to be careful about that. Uh, my kids are, are 12, 11 today, it's my middle son's birthday, and eight. And none of them, obviously, or they're not even hitting puberty yet. They're all young and little, but there's just this little part of me that every once in a while already thinks about grandkids. I'm way too young for that. Or, did you ever do that? Good. Praise the Lord. Don't start doing that yet. Your kids are young too, but I'm like, man, you know, great. But that's the next step. And but the danger as parents is that we start we start putting that on to our kids, and we start discipling them into this mindset intentionally or subliminally that says your purpose is to go and to bring me some grandkids, and that will make me most happy. No, the thing that will make me most happy is to see my children following God, whatever that looks like. And we as parents have to communicate that to them. And we have to actually believe it and live it. I was, you know, so I grew up in the church. I thought I was going to be married when I was 22. Uh, I had a girlfriend uh, coming right out of high school and early into college. And I thought, eh, we'll probably get married. But we didn't. And then I, and then I was 23. And I started dating uh, a girl. And then, or actually 24, yeah. Because it was right before I moved to El Salvador. I moved to El Salvador as a single guy. I, you know, Sam said, yeah, go. 
And I went to El Salvador with the intention of being there about two years to help this, this young church uh, establish uh, like a middle school, high school, college ministry and to train and disciple some guys to take that over. I started dating a girl, Rosie, uh, right before I left to go to El Salvador. We broke up while I was in El Salvador. So I'm, you know, I'm, on, I'm on the mission field as a single guy. And I can tell you from my experience, um, other than the Lord, I had nobody to answer to. I had nobody to care for. I had nobody to think about. And so when, when, when there was a need, I was able to go. When the guy said, hey, we're going to do this, I was able to go. And it worked out because most of my ministry at that time was single guys. And Sam was willing to send me and Sam was willing to support it. And I went. Now, we'll come back to some of the realities of the field here in a minute. Um, but just kind of tossing that out. That's where I started. I was dating Rosie. We broke up. If you know me, you know we're now married. It's the same Rosie. It came back around. I get worked back out, but there were some years there where it didn't work so well. So how do we strengthen singles? Uh, as you know, as pastors and as parents, I'm just going to give you all of all these things, and we'll work through it. Number one, we got to focus on purity. We have to teach them again to strive for int intimacy with Christ above all else. If you're a pastor, a, a high school, a, a college, a middle school teacher, we must be teaching intimacy, intimacy with Christ. That has to be it. First Timothy 4, 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little. Oh, I didn't put that. I'm giving you, I'm giving you two different scriptures. All right, for bodily exercise profiteth little. Uh, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Or First Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Right, So godliness is what we have to start teaching our, our single people towards. Godliness has got to be the one thing that they love because that profits more than anything else. But what is it, it seems like, what is it the thing that the single guys, young guys want to do? They want to be in the gym, right? Like the exact opposite of what 1 Timothy 4, 8 says. It's like, I'm going to get swole, I'm going to look good, and then I'll get that girl, right? Like I'm just going to bodily exercise is what's going to get me the greatest gain. And God's like, no, it's not. Godliness will get you the greatest gain. Bodily exercise might get you a girl, but you know, Sam, Sam taught us this a long time ago. What you catch them with is what you got to keep them with. Right? So you catch them with a six-pack, life's gonna get tough as soon as you settle down and start eating or cooking and stop going to the gym every day. Because that six-pack's gone. And she's like, You ain't the guy I married anymore. Well, okay. I think biblically, actually, when we look at this idea that bodily exercise profiteth little, I actually think the Bible defines it for us. I think it tells us exactly what, what that little profit is, right? So we're given 70 years, except if by reason of strength, you can get 80. I think if you maintain your physical body, that, that reason of strength, you get an extra 10 years. I think that's the little bit. That's, that's the advantage of bodily exercise. You can get 10 more years uh, of a functioning body for ministry. So there you go. It's not going to help you get a wife. I mean, maybe it will. But if you use it right, you're going to be in your 80s still being able to do ministry. And that's actually what you want. You want to have strength at the end of your life to continue in your ministry. When you actually have something more to give, when you have some wisdom and some years under you. Uh, for our singles, we have to be teaching time management. Uh, we, we cannot allow them to simply live as single and say that I'm free from everything. Uh, and so, you know, I sleep when I want, I get up and I do what I want, I go where I want. Actually, we want to start getting our single people to engage early in time management. Uh, you know, my son will be 13 in the summer. 
and and I've already been leading them up to it. I'm like, when you turn 13, things are going to get more more intense for you because you're going to become a young man, right? Your time management is going to change. Your room is going to change. I'm not going to walk into your room when you're 13 and step on Legos every day. You were going to do a better job of all of these things, like because I need to start preparing you to be a man. Whether you're married or single, I got to teach you to manage your time. And this is going to be really important. We want to actually get them to start living a life that that is organized and 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 is given to Christ. I wish you all could have just uh, heard Eric talk for 10 minutes on Wednesday morning. I think I think it's recorded somewhere. He'll just down just just get that. He'll talk to you about time management. We're in we're in the same mindset here. But the trap of being single is is to think that your time belongs to you since there's nobody else in your life that you're responsible for. But that's a lie. Your time never belongs to you. Your breaths are given to you by the Lord. Your time is given to you by the Lord. And so we need to instill that into our young and our singles. Learning how to prioritize as a single puts you in a position to be used of God. But it puts you in a position not only for the mission, but ultimately for anything else that he would call you into. Uh, and this is important, just kind of quick detail in, in, in time management. Intimacy requires time. Right. I mean, as married people, we get this, but it's true for singles as well, because to actually have a relationship with the Lord, intimacy requires time. It requires rising early and seeking God. You go, but, I, you know, but it's Saturday and I'm single. I don't need to get up early. You still should. We need to teach our single people to maintain good habits. Proverbs 19, 15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Let's not let our young people be slothful because if they build these, these attitudes when they're young, they're ready to go into the mission and they can, they can transition. They can easily engage in the, in, into that mission life as well. Proverbs 20, 13, love not sleep lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. All right. So singleness, you know, it, it may only be for a season, but we still need these lessons to come in because it will prepare you for what's next. Uh, this happens to me all the time here at Midtown. We have a fairly large college ministry. We're pushing 300 in, in Kaya, which is college and young adults. And a good number of them are, are single, um, though we have the same typical church um, uh, culture. How old were you when you got married? 24. Oh, you're an old man compared to these 22s. Yeah, but still young. We get married young, too. But singles are asking me all the time, how do you do it, James? How do you, how do you manage your schedule? How do you, so you're, you're going to teach um, intro to missions for 16 weeks next semester, and then I got to teach parts of um, survey of Old Testament. So I got to teach Lamentations. I got to teach the book of Haggai. Then I'm teaching Jonah on Sundays in our, in, right here in this room. And uh, I have a full-time job. I'm, I teach nursing. Then I've got a wife. And then I've got a kid. Uh, there was a plural there. Kids, I said kid. I'll, I have three of them. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm working on this church plant in Nairobi, and there's a translation project that I don't have any part of over there to kind of manage. And you know, and then I, and I'm discipling. I have a disciple, and I'm and I'm ministering on the missions team here at church. And the, and the and the young singles go. There's so much stuff. There's not even enough hours for all of that. How do you do it? Because I learned to manage my time. And I learned to prioritize what is most important. And that set me up to be able to engage in the mission. 
And I had to do it even when I was single, even when I was in El Salvador. Uh, so we need to, to help them manage their purity and their purity will be managed if their time is managed well and, and if their heart is managed well. Then we need to manage passion as well. Where am I at? I don't, we'll just leave that verse there for now. I'm not doing good with this uh, PowerPoint thing. Uh, passion, what it, meaning particularly that we have to learn to be content with what God has given us. When we learn contentment, then our passions will be controlled. And the problem with our passions is that we're not content. So really, when, when we're talking about controlling our passion, I'm saying we need to actually learn contentment, right? And, and there it is. Because godliness, that was that purity part, with contentment, that's great gain. So you get the godliness and you get that, that passion and, and the purity right, then you get great gain out of that. Now Moses, as a young man, a young single guy in Exodus 2, goes out and begins his ministry. He goes and begins to engage in the mission. Remember this? He goes out and he kills the guy. He's like, I'm going to deliver everybody. Why? And he kills the guy. And then he buries him in the sand. And it doesn't go so well. In his mind, he thought he was going to deliver Israel. And in Acts 7, you know, Paul tells us that Moses thought everyone would understand, right? He's going to go deliver Israel. It doesn't work out. And so he, he lacked a contentment. He lacked a wisdom to actually follow God and to wait on, on God's plan and to do things God's way. And that made a huge mess. And so he has to flee to the wilderness in Exodus 2. Uh, and, you know, he goes and, and he actually finds contentment. It says in 2.21, Moses meets these girls, a, a girl at the well, and her, you know, her father invites him in. And Moses was content. This is the first time that appears in the Bible. To dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah's daughter. A part of it's probably because he's getting a daughter, like he's getting a wife out of the deal. But he finds contentment finally. But it takes time for Moses to figure out how to be content. And ultimately, though, Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, right? Then, uh, and then esteeming the riches of Christ, greater uh, riches than the treasures of Egypt. So he found contentment. And his passion followed that, right? So he was able to engage wholly in what God was doing. Now, I want to take you briefly. I think I put this verse up here. All right. I'll take you briefly to Judges 11, to a really uncomfortable chapter. As most of Judges is, actually. In Judges 11, there's this guy named Jephthah. And he makes a vow. He says, God, if you help me to destroy the enemies... Whatever comes out of my house first, when I return, I'm going to sacrifice that to you. Okay, you familiar with this story? So he goes to the battle, the Spirit of God comes upon him, he overcomes the enemies, he returns, and his daughter comes running out like with timbrels, and she's dancing. She's like, Dad, you're home. Of course. Like, what else did you expect to happen when the men go to war and word comes back that they're returning? All the women run out. They want to know, did my man return too? Anyway, his daughter runs out. And uh, and he goes, man, you're you broke my heart because now I got to I got to sacrifice you. And then he does, and he sacrifices his daughter. Right, it's a really uncomfortable chapter. We won't dive into it, but I just want to point out the daughter's response here for just a moment. At the end of chapter eleven, uh, it started verse thirty-seven, and she said unto her father. Let this thing be done. He's told her, I got to sacrifice you because I made a vow. She's like, okay, do it. Let me alone two months. Here's what she wants. Let me alone two months and it may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And so 
this girl knows that her life is coming to an end. She is like 1 Corinthians 7, Paul pre preempts everything with your time is short, but that's been told to us many times. This girl's time is very, very short. Her father is about to murder her. And she says, the thing that I want to do with the time that I have left is I want to go into the mountains for two months. And I just want to wander and bewail my virginity. I just want to cry about the fact that I'm a virgin, right? And this is, this is the way that a lot of our singles live, okay? Without diving into all of the doctrine there, I just want to make this, this practical point. And so many of our singles say, I, I just got a little time left, but all I'm going to do in my life is I'm just going to wander around bewailing the fact that I don't have a spouse yet. And so you're like Jephthah's daughter when death is imminent and there's so much that she could have done with the little life she had left. We let our singles go, oh, but I, just, I don't have a spouse. And then, and then they, do the, they do exactly what she did. They get friends that'll come along and just join them in that wailing and it makes it even worse. And so we pile together these singles and walk around supporting each other going, if I only had a spouse, everything would be different. If I only had a spouse, I'd be able to engage in God's mission. This is so hard. This is so bad. I mean, your dad gave you too much. You could have done anything with that time. And Christ has given you some time, probably about two months. It's the way I've calculated the rapture. And you can do anything with that time. I'm just kidding. I'm not that crazy. But it could be. You can do anything with that time. And we cannot allow our people to just go around bewailing their virginity and bewailing the fact that I don't have what I think I need next. Now, on a practical side, you know, so a lot of people are in that boat. How am I going to counsel them? Uh, you know, I'm going to say, hey, listen, pretend, pretend single young man Thomas. Listen, okay, I, I get it. It's tough. You're struggling with it. I understand. I was there. Here's what I want you to do. Take the next month and really pray about it, and, and, and you know, if you need to mourn for it, mourn for it, but let's, let's take, why don't you take a month, and at the end of the month, let's say, let's be done with that. Take a month and cry, and see what it gets you, okay? I, it's hard, okay, we'll, we'll mourn it, let's, but then let's let it go, because at the end of those two months, where was that woman? She was a sacrifice, and at the end of that month, you know what I'm going to ask Thomas? I'm going to say, let's look at Romans 12.1. Now, are you ready to be a sacrifice? Can we be done with that? And can that be put behind so you can actually live so, as someone who's going to be successful for this mission instead of just giving my whole life to worrying about whether or not I'm going to get a spouse? Okay. Trying not to be preachy. I want to be teachy. Want to be, that felt preachy. But some things you got to you preach a little. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5 says this. Neither let the son of the stranger that adjoined himself to the Lord speak, saying, Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. The same thing. You don't get to wander around. Oh, I'm a dry tree. I don't have any fruit. Spiritually, different story. All right. Listen. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. And choose the things that please me. Those who are single, this is what we need to be telling them. When you choose to do what God has, has called you to do and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give to them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Here's what I'm telling all my single people. You get all of it back and more in a place that actually matters. All right, so let's just go and engage in the mission. Uh, doctor, you know, another, another component maybe that comes into play here is with single people, 
just throw this out there too, is this idea of covenants, uh, you know, making a vow, making a promise to the Lord. Uh, a lot of times when we're young, we do make promises to the Lord. I was young and single, and I thought that God was calling me into the mission. And so I, I made a promise to the Lord, and I committed myself. I said, God, I'll go to the mission. And, and a lot of us will do that. You'll go to a conference like this, or you'll go somewhere, and you'll just hear a preacher, and you'll go down, and you'll say, God, I give, I give myself to missions. And then, you know, a, a few weeks later, you're like, I give myself to missions, but first, you know, that spouse thing. And, and there's all these, these hang-ups and, and all these deals. Listen, if we're single... And if God is calling you to the mission, then the worst thing that you could do is to marry someone who does not want to engage in the mission. Okay? You cannot make that, that sacrifice. You cannot compromise that. I was at a conference. I was teaching. And after, it's a medical missions thing. Afterwards, this young nurse comes up to me. She, she's still in school. She's like, I, my heart, I, I, I want to be a missionary. I told God I want to be a missionary. I said, oh, praise the Lord. Are you dating anyone? She said, yeah. I'm dating this guy. He goes to Bible college with me, and he's studying uh, to be, uh, I think she said, a, a children's pastor. And we go to this big church, and he, he's probably going to take over and be the children's pastor there. I said, great, break up with him. You want to be a missionary? Break up with him. And she was like, what? I said, he, he sounds like a great guy, and that's okay. He can be a great guy, but he will not get you to where you believe that God is calling you to. Because if he is... is is sure that God is calling him to be the children's pastor there, and he's at Bible college to do that. He is not going to the mission field. And if you marry him, you're not either. And so we also have to teach our young people, our singles, that it's okay to say goodbye. It's okay to break a relationship off. Like maybe you're learning, and maybe, and, and maybe for good reason. God is directing him that way, and God is directing her that way. We encourage that. It's okay to say goodbye, and it's okay for you to still be here and engage in ministry and, and, and to be around each other, and, you know, and all of that. J. Vernon McGee said this about himself. Christians today are notorious at making vows and breaking them. I noted this when I first uh, began to move in Christian circles. As a young Christian, I went to uh, a young people's conference and watched 18 young people go forward to dedicate themselves to the Lord for full-time Christian service. I would not go forward because I did not know whether I could make good on my promise. May I say that out of all of those who decided, uh, dedicated themselves to the Lord's service that night, not one of them entered full-time service. Have you made a vow to God? If you have, he wants you to keep it. You know, so very old, old Testament, strong point about vows, but this is his point. He's like, I wasn't sure. So I just didn't make that vow yet. But everyone who did, uh, they all, none of them are doing it. You know, an interesting thing, if you just did a word study on single uh, in the Bible, you see that word only shows up twice, single. Matthew 6, 22 says, The light of, of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body should be full of light. Basically the same thing in Luke eleven thirty four. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if thine eye is single, thy whole body also should be full of light. But then he adds this, But when thine eye is evil, uh, the, that body also should be full of darkness. So that's the only t time that singleness shows up. And it gives us, it defines for us how uh, we ought to view singleness, right? Is that our, our eye, and really though physically there too, they're set on one thing, right? They, they look at one thing, they have one focus, one desire, right? And, and that's what single means. It actually doesn't mean do I have a spouse or not, right? Like I can, I'm married and I can still be single. Now I've brought my wife with me and we want to be single, but here's the problem. The problem in, in modern-day Christianity, 
married or not is that we're actually not single. We're, we're polyamorous. My eye, it's like everything that my eye sees, I fall in love with. And we haven't learned how to train our eye so that it is singularly focused on, focused on Christ. And it's like all the things of the world, we see it and we go, oh, 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 look at that. And every time we do that, it keeps us out of mission. And, it, and typically it delays it. We go, oh, that, that's a nice car. I got to have it. Well, now I'm five years in debt. You're not going to Romania until you get rid of that thing. Right, so all of these things, and we fall in love with all of the things of the world. When you expand single to include an asterisk, you know, so you can get all the singles or single. There's only a couple more verses that show up. Acts 2.46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Same idea. So you have a group that is still single. They're still singularly focused, right? So that's what it is biblically to be single. Uh, and then you have a couple verses where, where it tells servants to, with singleness of heart, to obey their masters. It is interesting in that Luke verse that when your eye is single, you get light. But then the contrast wasn't when your eye is like doubled. The contrast was when your eye is evil, then you're in darkness. So God even contrasts, Christ himself contrasts for singleness with evil. The opposite of being single is to be evil in terms of our, our focus, right? Not saying that married people are evil. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? But cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, is what James would tell us to do. Because when you think about it, what can be accomplished by those who are single? And it was referenced earlier. You look at Genesis chapter 11. When we're single, a, a, a lot could be accomplished. You had a singular language and you had a singular task and everything could be accomplished, right? And so that's really what God wants to do with singles. All right. So let's talk about the realities of single missions for just a minute and we'll take some questions. Uh, among missionaries, it's been said that two-thirds of all missionaries are married, one-third are single women, and the rest are single men. Right? Are you good at math? You're good at math. You know math. Engineers know math. I'll slow that down. Two thirds, two out of three are, are married. One third is single women. The rest are single men. How many are left over? That's the way that they gets communicated. And kind of, it's almost true, right? So there's very few single men on the mission field uh, when we look at missions. There's a lot of single uh, women especially in comparison to the single men. So the realities of the mission field, and this is what we need to be communicating to our single people as well. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you believe that God is calling you to the mission field and you're single, you have to recognize this, the likelihood of getting married shrinks. Right? For us as church planters, you know, we're, we're sending people uh, into different places or we're sending, or as missionaries, we're putting them out on the mission field. And if our if our method is that we're going to evangelize the lost, disciple them, train them, grow them up. If that is the method that we're taking, and I send this single guy, it's going to be a couple years before you got a saved and, and mature woman in the church. Singing, sending the single lady, it's going to be a couple years. Like It's going to take some time, and that's at best. That's assuming we, we found someone who's like in your, your age group and is single and all of those things, right? Um, we don't see a whole lot of women uh, just historically going on the mission field and then finding a, um, a foreigner, a, a non-native to marry. We don't see a lot of that. 
We have seen women historically that are single go on to the mission field and then marry uh, somebody of that native culture. So say we're sending a team to Vietnam, we have single women on that team. The likelihood of the single women that we have sent to Vietnam uh, getting married has shrunk, one, because they just left, you know, like 150 single men that were here. But two, because there's, there are no mature men in that church. And there's no mature people that are single. We didn't send single men with them, right? So if those women are going to get married, they're probably going to get married to a Vietnamese person who's growing up in that church, and that'll take time. Daniel was forced into the mission field as a young man, uh, and he was single. And as far as we know, he was single uh, the whole time, right? Uh, he never marries. Joseph also, though, is forced into the mission field uh, as a young man. And then he's the example of what we actually see happening fairly often in missions. When we send single men, they end up marrying uh, local women, right? And so the men, for whatever reason, uh, maybe their standards are lower. Maybe they're, maybe, maybe they don't know how to manage their hormones. Uh, they, they just go and they just marry these local, the local girls. Uh, or maybe you just have good women. And we have a great example of that in our own uh, fellowship, of course. Uh, you know, Jeff Bartel was a single man and went and married a local woman. Same thing happens with Joseph. He's given a wife on the mission field. Use it loosely, right? He's a prisoner. But you see that happening a lot, right? And so for our men, uh, typically, if we're sending them, it, it, they're going to feel like they have a little more hope. If we're going to send single ladies, uh, we need to make sure that we're having these conversations with them before they go. And if their heart is set, if your heart is fully set on being married, then maybe we need to delay sending you to that mission field. Maybe you need to find that person first and then go. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. We see women get married on the mission field too. It's just not as likely. Um, when, I, when we worked in Pakistan with team, there was a, a woman who oversaw member care. She was in her late 40s and single. But she told us when we met with her, she said, I still desire to get married. And I, I trust and believe that God will bring me a husband a God-fearing husband who shares the heart for, the, for this mission. I don't know. I haven't been in contact with her for a few years. I don't know if she got married, but that was her position. But she was willing to set that aside to go. Um, so it's a big commitment, right? Joining a church plant as a single is a serious commitment. And it's not a commitment that, that everyone uh, should take. You know, initially, a lot of people look at it kind of romantically and in, in, in the adventure of, of a church plant. But I think it's important that we consider the realities of what is happening on the field. And the realities of, of, of what getting married on the field looks like, right? Long distance dating is complicated. Uh, so I went to the mission field single and I had a girlfriend back here and that didn't work. Uh, Rosie ended up hating me and broke up with me. It was like, that's, that's good, I'll move on. And so those things are complicated. For us, it worked out later. That's a whole different story. Uh, but long distance dating is complicated too because, it's, you know, let's take our example. We've put people in uh, Boston or in Tampa. Now, if, now if, if those people start dating somebody from Kansas City, then, then who moves? Are we taking a, a key member away from Boston's church plant team to bring, to bring her back to Kansas City to get married and engage in married life here? Or we, or we have a guy who's willing to say, well, I'm going to marry this woman and join that team. You know, so there are some complications and things that people need to, to think about. And the desire may still be there. Um, and they may want to get married to the people we send. Some will abandon the idea of marriage. 
uh, and I think to our singles, we also want to make sure we have this conversation. Just because you're single now and you're going to a hard place, listen, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to give up on the idea of ever getting married. Because God may bring you someone, but I think we've seen people who, who uh, have so settled into, like, I'm just going to be single, that when God brought them someone, they missed it. Now, if they're content and they're like, I'm never getting married, I don't care, Prince Charming could come through the door twice, I'm going to turn them away every time, uh, you know, that, well, that's fine. But let's make sure we're, we're also just setting them up to say, hey, well, do you want it? Then you need to be ready uh, to, to continue in that. So we miss opportunities. Uh, I think sometimes there is, um, you know, just like there's practical sides of putting single people on the mission field. Uh, it's cheap, you know, less to deal with. You know, there's all these practical sides. When I went to, uh, to El Salvador, the, the church supported me at $400 a month. That's it. And that was enough. When we went to Pakistan, it was like, I don't know, 20 times that. Yeah, it was a lot. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but we're running, running out of time, so we need to have some time to talk and take questions or comments or thoughts. We do, I think, need to be good at managing singles and getting them on the field and figuring out how to deal with them getting married or not. Thoughts, comments? I see a hand. Just scratch him. You can just shout. You don't need to raise your hand. How would you counsel a single man that feels a call on their life, potentially to missions, but also maybe the pastor? I know some people view marriage as a qualification for the pastor. Yeah, you know, I think I think every person needs to have that conversation with their local pastor because there are i think differing views there um do do i or generally we at midtown do we require marriage as a prerequisite for the pastorate no uh, we see i think biblical examples of men who were not married uh, and who were pastors paul and timothy uh, would be great examples right but uh other people will and i don't think that's um you know something for me to fight about i think you need to talk to your to your your pastor and figure out where where they stand. I know that's kind of a dump it on somebody else. But if you want to talk to me about it, um, then yeah, we can talk about that. Um, I would say, you know, generally, I think if you're a single man and you believe that God is calling you towards the pastorate and you also desire to be uh, married, I think the general counsel is the same, no matter your position or whether you have to be married to be ordained or not, then you need to start pursuing godliness and you need to start pursuing uh, you know, someone to mentor you into that role as a shepherd. That would be my counsel. You need to get a pastor to disciple you. Even as a single man, you need to start taking ministry responsibility. You need to start taking counseling responsibility. You need to take responsibility for, you know, shepherding for, for, for souls and, and just start get trained up. And then trust the Lord. Again, same idea. You'll trust the Lord for a wife that's, that's going to be given to that because that too is a big job. I think the pastor wife or the missionary wife role is, that's a big, tough, scary thing. You know, it's, we have men who were typically really visionary and driven and then are, are hardworking and, 
sometimes don't communicate all of this well to their spouses or and then the women are trying to come along and figure it out and it, you know we kind of dump a lot of big stuff on them An unfortunate example would be the father of modern missions william carey um, great missionary but in terms of the dynamics between him and his wife and his family awful awful dynamic he actually left for the mission field but without his wife just because she refused to go so initially he got in a boat and left her took their oldest son and left her with all the other kids and was like fine see i'm going to the mission field god turned that boat around and uh she ends up going to the mission field and hates her husband the entire time she is she is destroying him and his ministry every chance she gets right and she ends up he it gets so bad he ends up he locks her in a room and leaves her locked in a room until she dies and just said this and said she was crazy so we just had to leave her locked in a room and he would sit outside the room and work on bible translations while she's in there. so if you're going to take a, a wife to the mission field don't get a crazy one maybe don't lock her in a room you know there are a lot of things that that were wrong about the whole uh, William Carey's interactions with his wife but you want you want your wife to be on you want her to start hearing the call early I think if you are being called and you're married you want to start communicating that as soon as you can because you want her to, to be able to start processing that too you don't want to dump this on her after you've had you know nine months uh, uh, in your heart where you've already worked through it and you've settled it and you're like babe we're moving to to Baltimore and she's like hold up where'd this come from right so get her involved early let him let him process actually communicate with your wife process that together um, that will help out a lot that's one of the things that Carrie didn't do he went to a conference he came home and he said we're moving to India and it was done it was decided she's like hold up but for singles, you can have that conversation in the 80s. That's a conversation. Hallelujah. Early and often, Exactly. So I, growing up in a church like this, Kansas City Baptist Simple, all about missions, I felt like God was calling me to missions when I was about 15. And so I, you know, was planning that as I, uh, from 15, I started a Bible study in my high school. I tried started learning how to lead and evangelize people. And, and when I started dating, uh, I, I had to tell people, and especially Rosie, when we started dating, I just told her up front. I said, God is calling me to the mission field. And you're cool. And you can walk away right now. No hard feelings. But if you stay, you have to know what you're getting into. I think God's calling me to the mission field, and I don't know what that looks like. I told the same thing to her father when I went to ask him for permission to marry his daughter. Uh, he, they're they're Christians too. They attend a church out in Lee Summit, and uh, I said, "I'm gonna, I want to marry your daughter. I want to take her to the mission field." So when you before you say yes, just know you're saying yes to you know skyped Christmases and not actually knowing your grandchildren and a hard life of separation. So I, Joel, that's a really good point. Start that conversation when you're dating. Thomas? Hmm. Um, William Carey got married um, a couple months later, if I remember right. Maybe a year. It was a full year. 
you know, I yes, there's a process. I think the process is you got to mourn and you got to grieve and you got to you got to be in a position where you can move forward. I don't have any personal experience with it, and I think it you know it varies. Generally speaking, statistics show us that that widowers, men who are widowed, remarry a lot quicker than women. Women typically take a uh, longer time to process and and then to to remarry. Um, but are you talking specifically in the pastorate, or are you just talking broadly? In yeah, in general. I don't know, Mitch. Uh, with respect to missions or, or ministry, that yeah, you know, it's like that Matthew verse we had earlier. I just decided for the season that I can be a eunuch for the cause of the kingdom. And well, like I said, when I left, I was dating long distance. So I thought, you know, there's a couple ways this will play out. We'll just date long distance the whole time I'm gone. Or, you know, I'll need to go back and get married and we'll start our marriage in El Salvador. Like she'll just move here. Um, but once we broke up, then I was fully single uh, on the mission field in El Salvador. I was just decided that none of that mattered. Like God will give me a wife when he needs to. I was by that point 24, 25. And so I had given up uh, on this idea that like I'm going to get married when I'm young, 20, 22. And um, I was at peace with being single. And and so I was just it just decided to set my heart into the mission. Like I was I wasn't pursuing anybody at the time. Um, but of course, that thought kept coming up, like being a guy and thinking I'm going to get married. I had it all the time. It was something I had to revisit for sure. It was something I had to re-wrestle and. And, and turn over to the Lord over and over. I don't know if I'm answering your question well. Um, but ultimately, as anyone who really wants to trust the Lord with anything, you got to put it in his hands and, and trust him to time it out and to lead it. Yeah. Especially later point. Sure. Yeah, well, so I think, you know, as, as men, as we're called to shepherd, we will always be put in situations where we're, where we're counseling and shepherding situations that we don't have personal experience with, right? Like I've never been divorced, but I have a responsibility to counsel that. So keeping biblical principle as the guide is going to be really important. And we should allow uh, the Bible and pastors who and men who are, who are opening the Bible to be able to guide people in all different situations, right? So, you know, for example, Del Thomas doesn't have children. Does that disqualify him from speaking what the Bible says to the families in his in his ministry. No, not at all, right? So I think there's that side where we just got to keep this position that says, well, I'm just going to give you biblical principle. And in terms of staying yeah, pure then, uh, and maintaining a testimony, um, it's the same that we have to do you know, here. Like I'm, I'm here and I'm married. If I need to counsel uh, a, a, a lady, then I need to make sure that I'm finding ways to, to do it so that I'm blameless. So uh, I'm not doing it in my office with the door shut at uh, nine o'clock at night. Like this, not an ideal situation for me to counsel a lady, whether she's married or single or whatever, right? So uh, I think a lot of it, it feels kind of obvious. Like we do, we have to, but we have to be intentional. I, I absolutely have to have personal and private conversations with some of the women in my ministry. And but I have to find a way to make sure that I'm setting myself up to be blameless while I do it. You know, there's a lot of steps, a lot of ways that people uh, do that. Sometimes we chaperone, sometimes we need a, a witness, just bring another person or 
or we just got to do it in a public place. We got to all of these things uh, that we do from, from the other side. Now you're saying, what about women? Uh, you know, so we, ideally we're not going to have a whole lot of women that are, that are counseling uh, the men uh, typically. So we have this in, in Nairobi. Uh, the most mature person in our church in Nairobi is a woman, right? And so a lot of people are coming to Jeanette to be their, unfortunately, their pastor, but also their counselor in all things. And our advice to her has been, you know, she wants to, to be a sister and be, you know, be a big sister. And so that's easy to all the younger guys. Like we have these high school guys that were coming around for a while, and it's really, it's really easy for her to kind of mother them and sister them. But with the, the grown men, so, you know, you got a, a grown man like Ken, um, he has a biblical question. And sometimes his first option is to ask Jeanette, right? And that puts her in a really awkward position. We've had these conversations a lot. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to be Ken's pastor. And so she's, uh, you know, Ken's the first man really on the field there. And so she's had to sometimes just to answer the questions and she's kind of been a, a biblical authority um, for good or for bad. She's answered some questions there, but now we're in a position where because of technology, she can just send them to me. So I, I, I just get online and I do all that kind of counseling. Hopefully now it could be tough. Um, Mitch, Mitch does a lot of counseling too. Thoughts. Yeah. Thanks Olivia. All right. We're out of time. We got to get out of here because People got to get to some lunches. Uh, if you have questions, just bring it back tomorrow. We'll be here in the next couple of days as well. And we'll make more time. Make sure we have these conversations. God bless you guys. Uh, 6.30 tonight, we start up again back in the main lobby or main auditorium. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.